morning and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, if you haven't done so already. Uh, it's also there in the notes that we have provided for you, but we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. A friend of mine from up north sent me a meme on Groundhog Day, which said, if the pastor sees his shadow, there will be six more weeks of this sermon series. I don't recall seeing my shadow on, on Groundhog Day, but I am going to preach one more time on giving. Uh, next Sunday, I intend to pick up where we left off in the book of Acts, which uh, will be part two. I don't expect you to remember this because it was November, uh, but it will be part two of the message, The Spirit-Filled Church. And it's so interesting how God can work through verse-by-verse -verse preaching because where we left off in the book of Acts, the church was spirit-filled, and where we ended, the church was selling of that which they had and giving it to the apostles to meet the needs of the church. Barnabas, for example, sold off land that he owned and gave the entire price of it to the church to meet those needs of those poor Christians that were suffering. And then we launched into giving month now, and we pick up next Sunday with Ananias and Sapphira. And we get to look at how seriously God takes insincere giving. Whoo, that's going to be fun. And it just fascinates me. I can't tell you how many times that has happened to me as a preacher, preaching verse by verse. It just fascinates me how these things uh, line up. God's in control of these things. This morning, we're going to wrap up the whole matter of giving uh, but we're going to do it by seeking to make good on our intentions in giving, by doing what we've been led to do by the Holy Spirit. A young man named Blake had a pizza delivery job to help pay for his college expenses. And once, as he made his delivery, a seven-year-old boy came to the door and the boy had a check in one hand and $2 in the other. And the boy pocketed the $2 and gave the check to Blake. And as Blake looked at the check, he saw that it was made out for the exact amount of the bill. So he asked the little boy, could that be the tip that you put in your pocket? And the boy said, yeah, not bad for walking from the kitchen to the door, is it? <laughs> you know, sometimes... Christians act that way with the money that God wants them to give. And our, our challenge this morning is this. Now that God has stirred up through this whole month of looking at this matter of giving and what the Bible actually says about it, now that God has stirred up some desires and decisions within you to give, as they say here, you best be for doing it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 and 12 will be our text this morning, a shorter passage than maybe you're accustomed to from me, but here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 11 and 12. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Let me read it again, since it's so short. Now, verse 11, therefore perform the doing of it, 
that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. How can you make this year the best year yet regarding your giving? You know, giving shouldn't fall into a, a New Year's resolution category, you know, that fades by February, because giving, it, it's far more important than your diet or your personal productivity, because it's a spiritual endeavor that has eternal ramifications. This thing shouldn't be like other decisions or goals that we make, and then, eh, you know, they kind of fade as time goes on. So how can you make a commitment in your giving before the Lord that you actually fulfill? It's been said before that a dream without a plan is just a wish. How can you make your personal decisions regarding giving become more than just wishful thinking? How can we do that? Well, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there are three keys that will help you go beyond hearing to purposefully and consistently, as the verse says, perform the doing of it. And number one, you see there, we need to complete our commitment. We need to complete our commitment. The, the phrase there, perform the doing of it, means to finish something that has begun, to bring to an end, to bring to completion, to accomplish something. The church in Corinth was, at one time, very excited to be part of this giving. They, were, they, they had great intentions. They, they, they said, yes, we want to be part of this. We want to participate in that. And Paul is reminding them, listen, uh, that was good, but now you need to accomplish this decision. How can you do this yourself? First of all, this is something that only you know. Have you made a decision regarding your giving yet this year? Have you, as we've looked at these things in the scriptures, have you opened your heart to the Lord and asked him, Lord, how and how much, how and how much should I give through the church? I've preached so far on the spirit of giving, on the attitude of giving, on the heart of giving, but the Bible is clear that all of us, without exception, must decide beforehand how we are to give. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 7 say, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man... According as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The Bible's clear in that verse alone that all of us, without exception, must decide beforehand how and how much we will give. And so, with that verse as my authorization... And as part of my role to equip the saints, I'm going to share with you some very practical things. This is further than I normally go from the pulpit, but I think it'll be a help uh, to us this morning. I'm going to share with you some very practical things that you ought to consider in order to make a biblical giving commitment before the Lord. And so I've got it in your notes for you to be a help but listen to me very carefully so you understand the heart of it all this morning. I want to share with you how to make 
a biblical giving commitment. This is the first time I've ever preached this, all right? So you all are hearing this. Uh, this is the first time I've ever preached it uh, like this. But number one, you should start by tithing to your local church. And I'm going to explain what that means. Number one, start by tithing to your local church. What is tithing exactly? Tithing is the ancient practice of giving one-tenth of your increase as provision for religious services. That's very generalized, but what I'm trying to help you understand is that tithing is the ancient practice of giving one-tenth of your income, your increase, for religious services. Abraham tithed. Jacob tithed. You can find those in Genesis. But tithing was the normal practice for the ancients. Well before Moses and the law, uh, the concept of tithing is not even restricted to Judaism or Christianity. You can find it all across history, this concept of giving one-tenth of your increase to enable religious services. Abraham, for example, gave tithes to Melchizedek as an act of worship, but also as provision for the religious services that Melchizedek provided. So in Genesis 14, we find in verses 18 and 20, and you can find this in Hebrews also, but it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. So well before the temple or the tabernacle or the law, Abram tithed to his priest Melchizedek. The Jews tithed in three ways. Every Jew was required by the law to pay three tithes. One tithe for the Levites who had no inheritance of their own. They were given no inheritance, so they received of the tithes. One was used, one tithe was used for the temple and the feasts, and one was for the poor. And scholars argue till kingdom comes. Scholars will argue about these three tithes. Was it three separate tithes that they had to pay every year? Was it rotated through different years? None of that really matters. The point is this. The purpose of the tithe was to enable the existence of the temple and the Levites all those that served in the duties thereof. Just as Abraham tithed to his priest Melchizedek, the Jews tithed to enable the worship in the temple. And it's interesting that when Israel was, uh, their heart wasn't with the Lord, when they needed to return to the Lord in the days of Malachi, where did God tell them to start? With tithing. With tithing. Their lack of tithing betrayed their insincerity before the Lord, and they were robbing the Lord of genuine worship, which is where we get the verse in Malachi chapter 3, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, there may be, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, what about New Testament believers? The New Testament says very little about tithing because grace giving goes exponentially beyond 10%. But 
In his rebuke of the Pharisees, Jesus said tithing was something that ought to be done, but that the Pharisees and religious leaders had missed the heart of the matter, namely mercy and faith. And so in Matthew 23, for example, in verse 23, he's, he's condemning the Pharisees. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe the mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Jesus is condemning them because they were so legalistic in their tithe that they were even tithing spices. And Jesus says, you ought to be tithing, but you're missing mercy and judgment and faith. You're missing the, the point of it. And so with all of that in mind, what I believe and what I personally practice is this, that the tithe is the starting point of practical, consistent, biblical giving. And so I believe that every Christian should give their tithe to their local church. And one way that you can decide and commit today in the area of your giving is to give 10% of your increase to your church. Why? To provide for the ministry that you attend. The lights are on. The, the building's here. The bills are paid. Why? So that you can be in church this morning. An ancient, original tithing, biblical tithing, the true purpose of it is to provide for the religious services that you partake in. I know this. I know that some, and I don't know that if, if it's the case here, so don't mishear me here, but I know that there are Christians that split up their tithe and send it to different organizations, but I would argue that this is a modern practice. That's a modern practice and not, not consistent with the historical and biblical concept of tithing. What do you find when people tithe in the Old Testament? You find that they're giving it to their priests or their tabernacle, or their temple that they attend. And so I believe it applies to the church and those giving as well. There's biblical precedence for this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 through 14. Paul says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Paul argues here, there is biblical precedence for paying the preacher, for meeting his needs. That's there. You can see the example of it even in the temple, Paul says. And so there's biblical precedence for the continuing the tithe in the New Testament. That's a biblical, I believe, starting point for a Christian under grace to give 10% of their increase to the church which they attend. But here's the thing about biblical giving. Here's the incredible and wonderful thing about biblical giving, that God is able to, give, God is able to enable you to give far beyond 10%. He is able, and we've found scripture for it, to back it up already in, in February, we, or in January. We found lots of examples of this, but the New Testament is clear. You can give well beyond, way beyond 10% 
if you're trusting in the Lord. One man said the tithe is not meant to be a ceiling at which we stop giving, but a floor from which we start. And I believe that's a very practical way to examine your personal giving, and I practice this myself. So number one, start by tithing to your local church. Number two, grow in the grace of giving through faith offerings. Grow in the grace of giving through faith offerings. This is New Testament giving. This is New Testament giving. Giving that is above and beyond. Giving that is done in faith. The New Testament teaches, and I'll just give this to you rapid fire, but it's in your notes because we've spent so much time already on these things. But the New Testament teaches, one, that giving is a grace that a Christian should grow in. It teaches, number two, that God enables sacrificial giving that is done in faith. It teaches, number three, that Christians are encouraged to give above and beyond for things like missions and missionaries in particular, and also to meet specific and special needs in the church. Number four, giving offerings is to be a universal, intentional, personal, consistent, and cheerful act done in faith. All of that from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, which is not about the tithe, but rather a special offering that Paul is encouraging the church to participate in. So giving offerings above and beyond is a universal, intentional, personal, consistent, and cheerful act done in faith. And then five, individual giving is a good indicator of a Christian's sincerity of faith and love for Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 8.8 says. It's a good indicator. So New Testament offerings... If you study the New Testament and you look at the offerings that were given in the New Testament, New Testament offerings are almost always given through or in participation with the local church, the assembly of believers. So it's my belief and my personal practice that a Christian should make a promise to God in faith to give offerings above and beyond the tithe to meet specific needs through their church. Many churches refer to this concept as faith promise giving. Lord, what would you have me to give above and beyond my 10%? And I believe this should be a specific number that you seek out in prayer. And for many, it's a sacrificial number. But grace-giving Christians commit in faith to give a specific amount above and beyond their tithe to missions as well as other special needs, trusting in God's promise to enable. And I would like a little help this morning from, from Tim and from Daniel Nelson. If you guys will come up to the front, there's some cards right here in the front. And if you could just go right back down the aisles that you were in and pass them out. These are for families. These are for those that are givers. This is something that has helped me to do that. And it is a personal card for just you, not for the church. You don't write your name on it. You don't turn it in. It is a personal card that enables me to write down, okay, Lord, I know my tithe. I'm going to write that down. Now, Father, how would you help have me to give above and beyond two missions? 
How would you have me to give above and beyond to another need or something like that? And I write that down and I total it up at the end. And in my, uh, well, I don't have an office at home right now, <laughs> but at my office at home, when I did this, you know, for the past few years, I would pin that right to the bulletin board of my office to be a constant reminder that this is how I have committed for my family to give. I have been calling our missionaries and just kind of giving them updates on how the church is doing and getting to know them a little bit. And in doing so, uh, I talked to Jason Ritchie, who believes in faith promise giving, by the way. Uh, I also talked to missionary Robert Bottom to the Harris County Jails. He is a hoot. I love him. But he told me that he first learned of this when he was in Pastor Rick Schrader's church. Pastor Rick Schrader taught this. And so, at the time, uh, Robert wasn't a missionary. He was working at the church, and he wasn't making much. I think he said like 20 bucks a week. It was nothing. But he made a faith promise to the Lord to give to missions. And one, one uh, week, the time to give came up, and he didn't have it. And so he asked Pastor Schrader, hey, would it be all right if I took the day and, and went on a trash run? And he did. He went on a trash run and he, he did the trash. And on somebody's trash, he found a chainsaw that they had just thrown out. He cleaned it up. He put fresh gas in it. He pulled it. It started. He went to the pawn shop. He sold it for $50 and that fulfilled his offering. He told me another example. One year, uh, the Lord impressed on him to give $1,000 to missions. How in the world am I going to do that? And he was garage sailing and he saw a car. And it was like 200 bucks. And so he bought the car, and he and a friend went in together on it. And by the time it was finished and sold, Brother Bottom's portion of it was $1,000. And he gave it to missions. And he just gave me these examples of how God used faith promise to grow his faith and enable his giving to missions in particular. And I thought it would be great to share that with you. This isn't just something that I have practiced myself. This is something that others have practiced also and found God to be faithful to enable them to keep that promise. So our text this morning, as we get back there, I hope... I hope you'll, you took that in the right spirit. It was meant to be very practical, but it's something that you personally have to decide. It's not something that I'm going to check up on. It's something that you personally have to decide, and I wanted to equip you to do that. 2 Corinthians 8.11 says, Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. Make your commitment to the Lord, and then see it through. Do it. What does that mean? It means you need to be in a habit. Maybe, as is, as is my problem, my problem is Sundays are busy. Sometimes I forget to write the check. Automatic withdrawal has helped me a ton to be performing the doing of my giving. That's just the way that I have found helps me do that because that's like the only check I write is to the church. I don't use checks anymore. Some in, in my churches in the past have used their bank. The bank can set it up to be automatic, and they send the check for you. Some, I've heard over the years, made it the very first check they wrote after getting paid. 
and made a purpose of it. I've even encountered their children as they, got, as they grew up giving testimony of how their dad sat down and wrote the very first check was to the church. They remembered that. It was a habit. It was purposeful. Whatever it takes for you to make your intentions become reality, do that. Perform the doing of it. Don't try to save up a large sum. Just give on a regular, habitual basis. One man said, the person who waits to do a great deal of good at once will never do anything. The temptation is, well, I want to, you know, save this up so I can give a big gift and make a big impact. You know, it would actually make a greater impact if you were consistently giving. The commitment you make will not fulfill itself. You have to do what it takes to see to it that you honor your commitment. A, a dream without a plan, a goal without a plan is just a wish. So put a plan in action. Faith is not a pill you take, it's a muscle you use. So giving is an exercise of your faith that you can habitually use and exercise and consistently and according to your commitment, give to the Lord. You need to make a promise that you intend to keep. I'm, I'm going to take a lot of liberties today, and I, so I hope you will receive it well, okay? But just praying and say, Lord, I'm going to be a better giver this year. There's, there's, that's not really a promise, is it? What does that mean? What, what amount does that mean? You should prayerfully commit to an amount that you believe God can enable you to maintain. This is not pie in the sky. This is very practical, sacrificial giving between you and the Lord. It needs to be real. When 67-year-old carpenter Russell Herman died in 1994, his will included a staggering amount of bequests. Included in his plan for his distribution was more than $2 billion for St. Louis, another billion and a half for the state of Illinois, Two and a half billion for the national forest, forest system. And on top of all of that, he left six trillion dollars to the government to pay off the national debt. Which sounds very generous, but the problem was is that his only asset when he died was a 1983 Oldsmobile. He made very grand promises, but there was no real generosity involved. Why? There was nothing to back them up. They weren't genuine. They weren't sincere. He couldn't back up those promises. And so what we need to do as believers, if we intend to follow the biblical model of purposing in our heart to give to the Lord, we need to be in the business of putting our money where our mouth is and perform the doing of it. A young boy on an errand for his mother had just brought, bought a dozen eggs from the store. And as he walked out, he tripped and dropped the sack and all the eggs were broken. And the sidewalk was a mess. The boy was devastated. He had used all the money that his mother had given him. And he tried not to cry. And people gathered around to see if he was all right and tell him it was okay and how sorry they were. And in the midst of all of that encouragement, one man walked up and gave the boy a quarter. And he turned around and looked at everyone else and said, I care 25 cents worth. How much do the rest of you care? Praise God if he's worked in your heart and led you to make a commitment of faith. That's an incredible thing. But make sure it's a real commitment with an amount 
with a plan that you intend and will perform. If you have to set a plan in motion to ensure that you actually do it, that is what the Bible encourages us to do. So do that. Figure out how can I see this through? Maybe you will be depending on the Lord to meet some needs so that you can give above and beyond what you believe you're even able to give. That's between you and him. But put a plan in motion because the devil will try to get you to doubt that you made a wise decision. There will be times this year that make your giving commitment hard to fulfill. Man, if I write the check to the church, what am I going to have to go without? Just remember that when you were led to make the decision, God knew your future. Never doubt in the darkness what God gave you in the light. He will put situations in your path to increase your faith, to test your faith, to give you the opportunity to see him provide. And so never doubt in the darkness what God gave you in the light. Complete your commitment, whatever that is, prayerfully, purposefully put a number down before the Lord and then see it through. And then secondly, cherish your commitment. Cherish your commitment. I'll have to pick up my pace a little bit here. We had too much fun singing today. Second Corinthians chapter eight again says, now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also of that which you have. So, For if there be a first, a willing mind, it is accepted according that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. The readiness to will there literally means eagerness, exceptional interest in this thing. Uh, to have zeal. It's an exciting thing to commit to give to the Lord. It is. It is a, it's, a, it's an exciting thing to feel led to give something. So keep that excitement alive. A great example is how David gives and collects for the temple in 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, David the king said, Unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, and wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glistering stones and of diverse colors, and all manner of the precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses withal, the gold for things of gold, the silver for things of silver, and all the manner of the work to be made by the hands of the artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Then the chief of the fathers and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the captain of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver 10,000 talents and of brass 18,000 talents and 100,000 talents of iron and they with with whom precious stones were found, gave them to the treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel the Gerashonite. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly. 
because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Quickly, notice David's mind was in it. I love this about David. David says, God, I want to build you a house. And God said, no, you can't do that. That's not your job. I'm going to give that job to your son. And so David, in bitterness and resentment, he just, you know, he just he pouted about it. He just couldn't believe that God wouldn't let him do this thing. No. David said, all right, if my son's going to build it, I'm going to stock the supplies. David did what he could do to enable Solomon to do the task that God had appointed him. He endeavored to help the man that God chose instead. I love that. Take the time in your day-to-day life to make sure that the commitment you've made is held up by the goals you set. Biblical giving takes priority in the life of a Christian, so all the rest of your priorities should reflect your desire and your decision to give. Make giving a priority in your budget. Don't let it get squeezed out by other things, because frankly, here's the way it works as human beings. The things we put our minds to tend to get accomplished. We, we can afford the things that we really want. So put your mind to your giving like David did. Put your mind to your giving. David's mind was in it. David's heart was in it. David's heart was in it. He, was, he, he cherished the vision of building the temple. Set your affection on God's house, the church. Why? The ministry is not my project or pastor's project. The ministry is your project. And your giving reflects your heart for the ministry. Matthew Henry said this, Shall we grudge the expenses of our religion or starve so good a cause? Put your heart in your giving. It's a great cause, the greatest of all causes. David's wealth was in it. David was king. He had the nation's wealth at his disposal. And, you know, it really is fun to spend somebody else's money. It really is. Just ask Congress. But... David gave of his personal wealth, sacrificially of his personal wealth to the building fund, if you will. And then he encouraged the people to follow suit. Someone said that money is so intimately related to the possessor that we cannot give money without giving ourselves. And David gave of himself, his personal wealth, to the building of the temple. And then we find the people rejoiced in it. The leaders of the people followed David's example and gave personally and sacrificially and cheerfully. They gave with a perfect heart. Oh, that would be the, if that would be the phrase that God uses to describe our giving. They gave with a perfect heart. And it brought joy to the whole assembly of the people. Your attitude in giving is just as important as your example. You can bring joy to the church by offering your gift willingly with a perfect heart. It'll be exciting. It'll be exciting when as a congregation we see needs met and we know that we participated in that. Needs that we could never meet on our own, we are able to meet together. And that's an exciting thing. The happiest people on earth, one man said, are the people who have discovered the joy of giving, and the people rejoiced in giving. So cherish your commitment. Cherish it. Don't 
Don't let it fade. Complete your commitment and then consider your commitment, as verse 12 says. If there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to, the, to that he hath not. Accepted means acceptable. That's deep, right? It means capable of eliciting acceptance, favor. You, you want to make sure that in all your giving, you want to make sure that God finds it acceptable. So what are the ingredients of an acceptable offering? They're right there. A willing mind and an open hand. A willing mind and an open hand. What you have, be willing to give. God expects you to give what you can with what you have. Many people believe that they would be more generous if they had more money. But in 2007, according to Forbes, there were 946 billionaires, and they gave an average of 1.2% of their income to charity. Be generous with what God has given you, with what you have. Because God judges not according to what a man has. Uh, excuse me, God doesn't judge you according to what you don't have opportunity to do, but according to what you do when you have opportunity to do it. And he who is not liberal with what he has, who is not generous with what he has, deceives himself by thinking he would be generous if he just had more. Your attitude in giving determines if your giving is acceptable before the Lord. So take the example of Cain and Abel. What is the example of Cain and Abel? It's there in your notes, but for sake of time, we'll boil it down to this. Cain was proud. He knew the requirements of an offering before the Lord, and he refused to give a gift that would be acceptable. Now, I'm going to give this gift to the Lord, regardless of whether it's the right sort of gift or according to what is acceptable. And notice what happened. God rejected Cain's proud offering. So Cain became angry with God. And then Cain re resented his brother Abel who gave the acceptable offering before God. And he lashed out in that resentment and anger against his brother and killed him. The acceptable offering is given in faith, in humility, sacrificially. God sees the heart. The heart. And as Warren Wiersbe said, if, if the heart wanted to give more but was unable to do so, God sees it and records it accordingly. But if the hand gives more than the heart wants to give, God records what's in the heart, no matter how big the offering in the hand might be. You need to examine your own giving and consider it before the Lord because only you know whether you're a proud giver. Oh, yeah. I worked hard to earn this money, and bless God, I'll give him some. You've provided for your own offering, and so you're proud of that. I've encountered people like that that resent those that are generous and faithful and sacrificial. Many times people that give out of that kind of attitude get very defensive and angry when you dare suggest they ought to pray about giving more or a, with a different attitude. You might be a regular giver. You might be a large giver monetarily, 
but you might not be an accepted giver. And you need to certify your commitment by tying your heart up in it. Give willingly and joyfully, and this will be the best year of giving that you've had. This matter of giving, it's a spiritual endeavor with eternal ramifications. So how can you make your commitment before the Lord something that you actually will follow through in and fulfill? How can you make personal decisions regarding your giving that are more than just wishful thinking? The three keys from 2 Corinthians 8, complete your commitment. Perform the doing of it. If you haven't made a specific commitment before the Lord, I encourage you to do so. I think there's biblical teaching there to back that up. It needs to be a specific amount. You need to put the plan in motion. You need to grow and abound in this grace of giving also by making God a promise that you will endeavor with His help to fulfill. That's what grace means. You need to cherish your commitment. God loves a cheerful giver, so be one. It's fun giving to the Lord. Do you know that missionary uh, Robert Bottom was very cheerful when he shared those stories with me? Those were fun stories to tell. It's fun giving to the Lord. Cherish your commitment and then consider your commitment because an acceptable gift requires a willing mind and an open hand. Be sure that your attitude in giving makes it acceptable. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 11 and 12 say, Now therefore... Perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. If the Lord has worked in your heart in the area of giving, will you make a decision that you will actually keep? Let's bow our heads this morning. And just give this matter to the Lord. Preaching a message this practical, it's like walking a tightrope. But here's the thing. I'm never going to know what decision you make. I gave you the card as a tool, but I'm never going to know if you use it. I'm never going to know what you write down there. This is between you and the Lord. This is not something you do to please the preacher. It's between you and the Lord. And I would encourage you to prayerfully consider these things and make a decision that is practical and that you intend and will plan to keep. We're gonna, I'm going to ask Hannah to play for us to give us some time. And then I would encourage you also to consider this at home husbands and wives, and all the others. Consider this yourself at home and give this to the Lord. We want to give you an opportunity to make some prayerful decisions now also.